you are listening to By the Book. Because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. Welcome to By the Book. This is Alan Griffith, your host for episode 87. Glad you're listening today. I want to begin an examination of a very important topic. It's one that needs consideration today, maybe more than ever before, because uh, things are just going haywire. So I want to begin to talk today about the world and our relationship to it. And when I say our relationship, I am daring to assume that you are a born-again Christian fully aware of the fact that uh, you are going to heaven when you die. And I hope that's settled for you because uh, the Bible says that the believer, and we'll talk more about this, is in the world, but not of the world. And if you're listening today and you've never been saved, you are in the world and you are of the world. And that's a very, very dangerous situation, I want to assure you. Well, I believe you would agree with me when I say the world is going crazy. And in fact, it is on a pathway to its own destruction. And that has nothing to do with climate change. It has to do with he who rules the world, he who is the prince of this world and uh, the fulfilling of his desires as time goes forward. So the world, well, let's talk about the world for a few moments. And today we're just getting underway with uh, this discussion that may go on for a few episodes. But I want you to think of the term world as it's found in the Bible. There are three different terms that are translated world and you will find them uh, in the scriptures. And let me just say a word about uh, why so many times we'll talk about a, a term, and then we'll say, you know, that uh, it's translated uh, one way, uh, but there's different words behind it that need explanation. And uh, the reason for that is that the Greek language, and we often are dealing in the New Testament, the Greek language is a very precise language. And the English language is not a very precise language. As a matter of fact, there are those who say that learning the English language is uh, very, very difficult uh, because of the way terms are used. And I've often illustrated that with the, uh, the word cool. Uh, cool is an interesting word, but when you say cool, what are you really talking about? Well, you could be talking about the temperature. It's a, it's a cool day. Uh, you could be talking about a car that you have or used to have uh, or somebody else has, and you say, man, that's a cool car. Or you might be talking about uh, a discussion you have with someone, and when you approach them, you got a cool reception and so on crazy language that we have. Well, sometimes in English, we only have 
one word that we can use to represent different words in the Greek language, again, because the Greek language is very precise and our language is not so precise. So we find the term world, the English term world, in our Bible, but behind a particular reference where we find the term world is a a Greek term. And we want to try to talk about that and explain that to some degree, but not create too much confusion. Uh, But the term world is most often used in our New Testament as a translation of the Greek term cosmos. And we're going to focus on that in, in most of our discussion. And you'll find that term about 180 times in the New Testament. And so most of the times, by far most of the time, if you're reading your Bible and you find the term world, it's going to be representing that term cosmos. And we're going to come back to that in a few moments and talk about what that is. But there is another term that is represented by our English word world, and that's the term ion. And that term is found approximately 40 times in the New Testament. It could be rendered age, but often it is rendered world, and it speaks of of a period of time, and usually a period of time that is uh, marked and somewhat unique by perhaps the spiritual and moral characteristics of the time that it, it represents. So we will make reference to that. We'll get to that term as we continue our study. And then there's another term. It's only found about a dozen or more times, but that's the term oikumene, translated world, but it speaks of the inhabited earth. Now, you can see how those three terms sometimes overlap, and they they do, uh, but there is also distinction that we need to recognize. For instance, the inhabited earth, it's not just the physical earth, but it's the idea of, of the earth and its, its people by, by multitudes. And in that sense, it's the, it's the world. Again, the term I own, translated world, speaks primarily of a period of time. Uh, again, represented with certain spiritual or moral characteristics. But then we come back to this term cosmos. Again, we find it uh, in the scriptures about 180 times, and it is an extremely significant term. The term itself, cosmos, speaks of order or arrangement. So we live in a world that has certain order to it. Now, it is becoming more disordered all the time, but that's the idea of the term. It is a term that speaks of people. It's the people of the world, but they have uh, a system of organization and operation. Now, one thing about the cosmos, and I want you to get it in your mind, it's extremely important. It is anti-God and it is anti-Christ. The system in which we live, not just here in America, 
But the system of the world is anti-God, it is anti-Christ. The system is made up of the nations of the world, and it is represented in uh, the realms of politics, uh, religion, uh, the various societies and cultures. It includes business. It includes education, entertainment, sports, media, family, and yes, religion. That's the world. That's the world that you and I live in every single day. That's the world that you and I have to deal with. We cannot go off somewhere and hide in a cave. We live every day and we have to deal with people and we have to wrestle with the political and religious and business and educational and social issues of the day and all that goes along with it. That's the world. And again, I want to remind you, it is anti-God and it is anti-Christ. Now, we're told in Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, very simply, very simple statement, God made the world. We know that. God made the world. God created the world. Now, listen, he not only created the earth, but he created, of course, people and all that would come out of the relationships that exist among people. That's the world. Now, when God created, as you know, he created one man and one woman. Uh, two genders, by the way. Uh, not uh, a gender where they weren't either male or female. No gender where they were both male and female. Two genders, male and female. He created people. He created the system. Now, the system did not exist very long. In fact, we have no idea how long, but not very long when something went wrong. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, here's what we read. Wherefore, as by one man, one man, and that man was Adam. And we are told that by one man, sin entered into the world. Now, at that point, the world was only made up of two people, Adam and Eve. But sin, which existed prior to the moment of their fall, sin entered into the world. Now, where did that sin come from? Well, we know that Satan, the devil, rebelled against God, and then in his desire to be worshipped and to rule and to be like God, he very quickly, it would seem, came to this earth to go after Adam and Eve. And so here's what we read in Romans 
chapter 5 and verse 12 again. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Sin entered into this system that eventually would turn out to be very, very large and have nations and have politics and have religion and have business and have education and have entertainment and all of those things that we live with and deal with now. Now, at that point, it was in its stage of of infancy. The world had just begun. But by Adam, this one man, all of a sudden, sin enters into this infant system called the world. And the verse goes on, and death by sin. Now, Adam and Eve were created to live, and they would still be alive today if sin had not entered into the world because the wages of sin is death. But that's what happened. So sin enters into the world, death comes with it, and so the text goes on and says that death then passed upon all men. And the Bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And so every single person, other than those who will be taken up at the rapture, and I hope I'm one of them, maybe you hope you're one of them, but every single person who is ever part of this world faces physical death. Multitudes have died. Many will die today, and multitudes will keep on dying because that's part of what has happened to the world, the cosmos, the ordered arrangement of humanity. So it says this, verse 12. Let me go back and read it through. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, and here's why. For that, all have sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, it changed their being. It changed their nature. It changed their human nature into that which was generally considered the state of innocence and created in them guilt. They were guilty before God. They were now sinners because they sinned. When they produced children, they could only produce children who had their nature. And so every child born is born with a sinful nature. He is born a sinner. Adam and Eve were sinners because they sinned. You and I sin because we are sinners by nature. So here we are back in the Garden of Eden. We are at the very, very beginning of time. The world has just started. There's only two people. There are no nations yet. There's no politics yet. There's no business yet. But this time, the very beginning, 
is when sin entered into the world. The world. Now, other things happened at that time. And I want to bring it to your attention by the experience of the Lord Jesus, who, as you know, about the age of 30, was ready to begin his earthly ministry. He was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, and then before he began his public ministry, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the Judean wilderness, and there he was confronted by the devil. And I want to call your attention to that experience in Matthew chapter 4. And so if you have your Bible open to that passage, if you don't have your Bible, I hope you'll get to it later. But let me read to you Matthew chapter 4, and I want to talk about this experience beginning in verse 1. It says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, the Lord Jesus answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The devil takes another approach. Verse 5, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city. So they leave the wilderness, and the devil takes the Lord Jesus to the city of Jerusalem, and the temple was there. And it says, The devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle of the temple would have been the highest place and the corner of the temple. So now the devil has the Lord Jesus up at the very top point of the temple. And verse 6 says, And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. If you're the Son of God, then jump. I dare you to jump. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Two times the Lord Jesus resists the temptation. He passes the test, if you will, that is set before him. Well, the devil's not done. So verse 8 says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. I don't know what mountain that is. I tend to think it was uh, Mount Hermon. That's the 
highest mountain up in northern Israel. Some think it is Mount Tabor or Mount Tabor, as some call it. But in any event, the devil takes him up into a high mountain. Now listen, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. By this time, the world has been in operation for many, many years. And by this time, of course, there are nations. There are kingdoms of the world. And so the devil takes the Lord Jesus up to this high mountain, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of the cosmos, all the kingdoms of the system of humanity. And he shows him, as the verse goes on, he shows him the glory of those kingdoms. He shows them the beauty. He shows the Lord Jesus the power. Uh, he shows the Lord Jesus all of the uh, the ins and outs and the magnificence of humanity. And also he shows them, the text says, uh, the glory of them. And then he follows with this, and he says this to the Lord Jesus. Listen to it. All these things, all these things, all of the kingdoms of the world, the whole cosmos, and all the glory of the human systems, all of these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And so the devil says to the Lord Jesus, I am challenging you to fall down and worship me. And here's what he said. He said, if you will do that, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you. Now, that is an amazing statement. That is an amazing offer. And we may come back to this in more detail at a later time, but I would remind you that John talks about the Lord Jesus coming. And he says of the Lord Jesus that he came into the world. He was in the world. He was in the cosmos. He was in the system of nations and such. And it says, and the world knew him not. The Lord Jesus creates the world, comes to the world, and the world does not know him. And the devil says to the Lord Jesus of the world that Christ himself had created, if you will fall down and worship me, I'll give it to you. How could that be? What does that mean? Well, something else happened in the Garden of Eden. When God had created Adam and Eve, as you no doubt know, he gave them dominion over the creation. 
He gave them authority to rule it, to care for it. And that authority was given to them directly by God. I'm putting you here in this world, as it were, and you are here to have dominion over it. And when they sinned, they not only became sinners, they not only would now experience physical death because in that moment they experienced spiritual death, but they lost dominion over the world. They lost dominion over the system. The Lord Jesus referred to the devil as the prince, the leader, the ruler of this world. And now here's the devil taking the Lord Jesus up to this high mountain, shows him the world, and says, basically, I'm the prince of this world. This world is mine. I'm the ruler. I'm the leader. But if you'll fall down and worship me, I will give back to you what you originally created. That's amazing. That's amazing. And the Lord Jesus responded, praise the Lord, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, that's Matthew's account, and Luke gives us an account of the same experience. And I want to turn to Luke chapter 4, and we won't go through the entire temptation of Christ, but I want to focus on this part of it that we've just been looking at. And so I'm in Luke chapter 4 and verse 5, and listen as I read, because it's just a little different. And it's very, very powerful, very, very significant. Verse 5, the devil taking him up into an high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world. Now that term world right there is the oikumene, the inhabited world. There's an overlap here between uh, oikumene and cosmos. But he shows them all the kingdoms of the inhabited earth, which really is the cosmos. And he does it all in a miraculous way. He does it all, the Bible says, in a moment of time. And then verse 6. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee. Same thing that was recorded in Matthew chapter 4. I'll give all of this to you, and then listen. All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, listen, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, to whomsoever I desire, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Now, I've always found it interesting to note that the Lord Jesus did not in any way deny or mock or make fun of the statement that the devil made. 
The devil showed the Lord Jesus the whole world and all the kingdoms of it and all the glory of it. And he said, I will give it to you. And he said, and I want you to know this. It's been delivered unto me. It's mine now. And I can give it to anybody I want to give it to. And the Lord Jesus did not mock that. He simply said, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Well, what does that mean to you and me? What does that mean to us? Well, the Lord Jesus prayed in John 17, and he spoke very clearly in John 15 of believers. And if you're a believer, he was talking about you, and he was talking about me. And here's what he said. He said, I have chosen you out of this world. You are not of this world. You don't belong here anymore. You belong to me, and I am going to prepare a place for you in heaven. And here, as we're going to see and focus on more in the coming episodes, here, you are just a stranger. You are just a pilgrim. You are just passing through. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. Well, then you and I have to step back and say, well, then why am I here? Why am I still here? And what should my relationship be to this world system that I am living in? What should my relationship to this system be? Because I want to tell you something. People are very confused today about what's going on in the world and what their relationship to it should be as a born-again Christian. It's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of compromise. And you and I need to understand who we are, why we're here, and how we should be living. We need to understand that as individuals, as families, as part of a church. We're going to talk about it more. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Lord bless you.